0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast that dives headfirst into the proverbial deep end of the latest trek into the final frontier, Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined, as usual, by our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Rachel Clow. Hello. Zaki Hassan. Howdy. And Cicero Holmes.
1: The Starfleet Manual offers no regulatory guidelines for humans with Klingons grafted to their bones and for doctors who were previously dead. It's true. It's true. It is.
0: And that's, that's some of what we're going to be exploring here in this one. Uh, that was an, an impressive recitation. I have to say. Well, uh, well thank you. Uh, yeah, I wrote it down. Perfect. <laughs> 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 well, um, this week we're going to be taking a pretty different approach to our discussion, and as you may have noticed, we've actually had some people reach out to me going like Why don't you have new episodes?" And it's a valid question, uh, but we have no. Two it's episodes. not. You
2: know what, people? Wait your time. All right, roses <laughs> don't grow in a day. You know. them we'll get there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Uh, did, so, Zachy returns. Did he return from the mycelium network with, uh, with Dr. Colbert? <laughs> or his dinglea fell off. Do you, do you feel, Zacky? Can you feel it? You guys are like, why are you so angry? I don't know. No way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yes. Well, in any event, we have two. Episodes of Discovery to talk about here, and uh, they're pretty important. At least that's how I would characterize them. And in the interest of both expediency and in fostering, um, I guess, a greater degree of discussion, we're going to have a bit of a looser, higher level discussion in terms of each episode's plot, but dive into the major character journeys that each episode presents. So it's a little bit of a change up than uh, listeners may be used to. Normally, we go beat by beat in the plot, but it seemed like. You know, maybe we just take the plot in right up front at the beginning. Obviously, people who watch, who listen to this show have watched the episode of Discovery, at least I would hope so. Right. So it seems like it might be kind of a, an interesting place to go. But we will ease into our episode discussions by just catching up a little bit, because we haven't gotten together to record in a while. So what has everyone been up to since the last time we all got together? Zaki, kick us off.
2: Uh, I I've been just waiting patiently to record. That's that my my engagement with Star Trek has been uh, discovery.
0: You <laughs> could do worse, especially yeah. right
2: now. I think. Especially lately, uh, yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely batting a pretty high average. If I would, if I do say so myself, Rachel, what about you? What have you been up to?
3: I've been watching some Enterprise.
0: You have, yeah. We just nice. finished the Andorian incident.
3: Yep. Yep. Oh, Which oh, is that's one, a
0: good one. That's a good yeah, one, yeah. One of the better
3: examples of season one, I think. Got my boy Jeffrey Combs.
0: Yeah, Rachel's a big Shran fan. <laughs> Shran fan. Shran girl.
3: Shran girl.
0: <laughs> but, uh, yeah, those, we're getting into some pretty decent territory, I think. Yeah,
3: I think it's a pretty strong first season for yeah. a Star Trek.
0: For Star Trek.
3: Yeah. yeah. It's probably...
0: Like as far as season ones go, I mean, it's not as high as TOS, but well, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's got a pretty good average. Th- this is when the, the mission of enterprise seemed most in focus, you know, it wanted to kind of do something different, yeah, uh, but also dip a toe into the, the universe that everybody knows and loves. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's doing pretty well walking that line before, you know, it goes off into some crazier territory in season two before things start to come back near the end of season three into like full on Trek territory. So
1: yeah, you'd like it. Yeah. Very good. Cicero, what have you been up to, man? Uh, You know, uh, these episodes um, have led me to some obvious um, reviewings. Um, Again, uh, a lot of my, my TOS knowledge uh, while I've seen all of the episodes, I think one of the things that I've realized after watching uh, both The Cage and The Menagerie, both parts of The Menagerie, um, again, is that I watched, I've watched. i watched all of TOS, mm-hmm. but I don't know if when they were in syndication in New York if they were in order. In fact, um, I doubt that they were. Hmm. So... um So when I was watching them, it would just be a random episode of Star Trek that happened to be on. Mm -hmm. So there was never a chance to really get any story arcs. So that is why and, you know, I realize now that that is why uh, when when it's time to think about TOS and think about the storylines and think about the, the journey that the characters went on. Uh, When I rewatched those episodes today, um, besides the fact that it's been conservatively 25 years since I'd seen those episodes uh, and Mm -hmm. paid attention to them. The other part of it is that I'd never watched them with a purpose or or an understanding that these these have an order to them all. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so. Uh, watching the cage and the menagerie, um uh, both parts of of the menagerie uh, really it, it really kind of filled in the blanks and and created a beautiful mosaic for uh, this two-story arc that I think is qu- quite actually apropos that we're uh, that we're discussing both of these episodes together in one episode of Discovery debrief,
0: yeah, yeah, that's it's very well said. I mean, We'll we'll get into it in a little bit, but I definitely uh, when we when we come to the relevant point in the discussion, definitely give us your pers- your modern perspective, I guess, on sure. the cage and particularly sure. how it sort of winds into this. But uh, yeah, I mean, I revisited uh, the menagerie again recently. I mean i I actually really like the menagerie. It's one of my favorite. I mean, it's the only two parter in TOS, but. Considering why The Menagerie was made, in my mind, The Menagerie is the single greatest clip show ever. Even though it has a fair amount of new content in it, all things considered in comparison to other typical clip shows. I mean, it was made as a budgetary stopgap uh, during the production of the first season of TOS. And taken on that basis, it is astonishing how good those two episodes are. So the fact that we get to... Sort of re-explore some aspects that the menagerie played with, especially knowing everything that we know about where Spock and Pike end up in some new Discovery episodes is pretty great. Right. Uh, also, just as a side note, we're recording this on March the 11th, which is Rachel and my second anniversary.
1: Mazel Oh, happy, happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Thank you. Uh, Thank you. You guys That's suck. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? How about how about this? Here's my present for you. Okay. My present for you, Chris, yes. and Rachel is and Rachel, you get lumped in this by just by osmosis by as as a result of uh Chris saying a thing and you being in close proximity to him. Um <laughs> So uh, that's normal. That's okay.
3: when I signed the papers, that was <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's kind of what happened. Right? <laughs> right. So um so Chris says that he thinks that the menagerie is the greatest clip show uh <laughs> clip episode ever. Um I would argue that point and would say totally off topic that the Clerk's animated series clip show <laughs> is <laughs> the greatest clip show ever. Um, for those of you who have not seen the clerk's animated series there are only six episodes I don't know if you can find them anywhere they are available on DVD but the clip show you know you're like six episodes how could that, how the hell could there be a clip show well the clip show is the second episode so there, there it's it's it is the uh, stereotypical like it's the most tropey of tropes for a sitcom Um both uh, the, the two protagonists get trapped in the freezer closet of the quick stop and they reminisce about the things that happened in the 30 minutes before this episode began. And there are all these clips. And then when they run out of those, they start having, they start talking about, like, oh, remember that time we got locked in the freezer? And it's <laughs> like, it's happening, it happened five minutes ago. So so that is The Greatest Clip
2: Show.
0: It's been a while since I watched that, but we do actually have the DVDs, so yes. I might have. Oh, you should watch it. Yeah. I, there was,
2: there's a there's a part in the, I don't remember if it was in the episode or if it was a deleted thing, but it's this funny thing where where Randall's like, oh, I'm just watching this new movie. It combines Spielberg's love of reviving like old properties and being a chronicler of the Holocaust. Uh, right. Flintstones list. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't, again, I don't remember if that was a deleted scene, but I, I can't remember laughing as hard as I did for that. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was brilliant.
0: Oh and no bad like,
1: drive car, how could that be? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> well we'll we'll do clerks the animated series debrief before too long. Just, right. <laughs> oh, just because.
2: Now, now you're talking. Yeah, yeah I, maybe yeah. After,
0: maybe yeah. after we do not so bad. We'll right. do, uh, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> clerks, <the> clerks animated <laughs> series was not so bad. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, we do have a lot to talk about. So because of that fact, we're going to forego our discussion of franchise news, maximize our time talking about the newest Discovery episode. So without further ado, let's begin with season two, episode seven, Light and Shadows. So here's a quick and dirty recap of the episode that misses a lot of the detail, but it'll just be a quick refresher on what happened at a high level. Discovery is confronted by a time anomaly while researching the red angel signal over Kaminar. Pike and Tyler investigate the anomaly in a shuttlecraft and nearly die at the hands of a probe at first launched by discovery, but modified in the future. Somehow kind of came back as like a matrix style, uh, Sentinel. It seemed that was the thing that I thought of. Um, Meanwhile, Burnham's search for Spock leads her to Vulcan, where she discovers that Spock is in psychological distress. She then takes him to Section 31's ship, where doctors claim they can help him, but she realizes her mistake when Giorgio tells her Section 31's memory extractor will kill him. Burnham and Giorgio then devise a plan to allow Burnham to escape the Section 31 ship with Spock. In Spock's apparent delirium, he reveals to Burnham the planet they need to go to next Talus four, at which point I personally freaked the hell out at the end of that episode. But first things first, what did you guys think of this episode overall and how did that talus four revelation hit you by the time the episode concluded? Cicero, start us off.
1: Yeah, well, I was I mean, yeah, I was obviously freaked out because uh I was like, Oh, uh yeah, I know that place. I've heard of that place. Um and and you know what and to be fair an apology uh debrief listeners i was uh confused about the timeline so i wasn't positive that this these events happened before or after the events of the cage and i know that we talked about it but again it was just kind of wavy in my head um, so i immediately went and watched the cage um, and, and was like, okay, I've got these events in my head and I, you know, so I know the, I know the cast of characters and then I watched some menagerie parts one and two. Um, but, uh, I was, I was still like, oh, all right, here we go. And again, the, the overlying thing for me was that this season, they, the writers have spent so much time in, in, in the room with clubs so that they could club Star Trek fans over the head and say, you know, the the quote unquote big time true fans over the head and say, this is Star Trek. This is Star Trek. You know, we are fans. We, you know, we are on this. We are doing this show not because it's a job, but because we love this franchise as much, if not more than you do and we understand where we are we've got a plan we we are fully cognizant of what came before us and if you just sit and shut up and watch the show you will see that your faith or 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 lack thereof in us is well founded if its faith in us or unfounded if it's lack of faith in us, and I think they've they've done uh, an incredible job of of showing that.
0: Very well said, Zachy. What did you think of this one overall, and how did that uh, Talos Four revelation uh, strike you when we
2: hit the final credits? So, I mean, overall, there just this season has been just so good. I mean, really, like they're just hitting it, and and you know, they're still like you see. a a few stragglers on social media who are like, that's not real Star Trek. And it's like, no, you need to, you need to like, that, that is so 2017 or, you know, or like when it's just, I, I, I'll go along with thinking that based on the early episodes. I mean, by this point, it's just tied. It's, it's embracing the canon. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I gotta be honest. When, when they, when we hit the Talos thing, there's a part of me that was like, Really? (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, it, it,
2: because I was like, I was like, when you think about it, like canonically, we know like two things about Christopher Pike. One is that he was captain before Kirk. The other thing is like he went to Talos one time. So I'm like, like right away, that's what, like we're, we're just dipping right back into the one thing that we know about Pike. You know, we're not like uh, expanding things outward, you know, maybe hold off on that a little bit. Uh, but I have egg on my face because I, I should to Cicero's point. I should have. You know, it's like they were talking to me. Oh ye of little faith, trust us. We, know, <laughs> we know what we're doing, and uh, I mean, we'll talk about that uh, for the next episode. But yeah, uh, I, I was I was never more happy to be proven wrong. Let's put it that way. Nice, great, very well put,
0: Rachel. What did you think of this one, and specifically of Talus?
3: I really liked this one. I liked all of the character moments, little interactions that happen between. Uh, various characters, which I'm sure we'll address in the next few questions. Oh yes, but um, uh, the Talos thing. I was I was mostly confused because I thought <laughs> that the was the death penalty to go to Talos for, and so I was <laughs> like, "Uh, Michael's gonna get in trouble again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, he keeps getting in trouble, and that's really bad. Um, I yeah, I." I was mostly confused, mm-hmm. but I knew like, I knew what it was. And I was like, Oh, I was into that. But right. I wasn't like you, like you you were like <laughs> sitting there going, Oh, is it going to be Chalice four? Is it going to be Chalice I didn't 4? say anything. And you didn't say anything, but afterwards you said you were like, Oh no, they didn't. Yes. And I, I did not have that. I was just like, huh, what's it going to be? <laughs> and then I'm like, Oh, okay.
0: Oh man. Well, so, but good overall. Yes. Yes. Yeah, by the time the episode was really winding up the conclusion, it was just a little germ of a thought that kind of went maybe. And then the longer it was drawn out, I was like, "Oh shit, there's something to this germ of a thought." And my anticipation, and it was only like what, maybe 10 seconds if that, but my my brain was going through these cycles of thought like could this actually be? And as soon as it was revealed, not only did i audibly yelp but i was immediately excited by it because full disclosure i've wanted to see the telosians again my entire life like it, i remember even reading do you guys remember when the script for star trek nemesis leaked out like months ahead of time Barely. and it wasn't the it wasn't the final draft but it was pretty close and there was even just a reference to the telosians that was in that script that I went nuts for and was really hoping it would be in the movie and then it didn't end up being in the movie. But the acknowledgement, I guess, of that very, very first primary alien race, you know, the, that falls into the now well-worn Trek trope of the antagonists that are revealed to be potentially more benevolent than you ever would have thought at the start of an encounter with them. I've wanted to see the Telosians again uh, for for my entire life. So when that revelation came through, I was immediately hooked by it. And that's after all of the other really great stuff that this episode brought to the table. So up until the next one, this one was my favorite episode of Discovery. And, uh, and I'm sure that we'll get into it a little bit more here in a bit. But yeah, I, I was fully on board. Uh, for, for the ride the entire time. But let's go through and talk about some of the major character arcs that got forwarded here. So the character relationship that I think got the lion's share of the most interesting interplay was the sort of antagonistic bent to Tyler and Captain Pike. Uh, Pike represents the moral certitude and general unwavering stature of the Federation's ideals. And Tyler is quickly becoming a symbol of the necessity of section 31 where he's fitting in very well. He, he probably seems most at home as an operative of section 31 than at any other time that we've seen him. Uh, and I find that really interesting, but what do you guys think of the way that this relationship is developing and how do you foresee this dynamic continuing to play out through the rest of the season? Rachel?
3: Um, I, I liked this a lot. I liked, uh, I really, really liked how they set up the uh, sort of distrust with Pike's sort of seeing uh, himself shoot Tyler in the future. Yeah, that was really cool. And then he, you know, he has this knowledge and then you see him sort of realize like, oh, I was saving him. Yeah. Like your <laughs> friends um, that, that was just such a, like just such a great way to have the um, sort of what's going on in Pike's mind be, like, very explicit in the plot mm-hmm. without being ham-fisted or, you know, like, being like, I don't trust you. Like, right. <laughs> that, right. having to put it in... Like, For no of, reason. Yeah, weird, ridiculous dialogue. But you can see it. You can see him, like, be like, oh, and you can see him, like, oh, I don't trust him. And then you can see him realize that, like, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I, I can, I can trust you. And we've we've been together through this weird time experience. Uh, so time rift. Yeah. Time rift. Uh, time, time friends now. Uh, Cause everything's funny or better with time in front of yep. it. Uh, <laughs> nice.
0: Excellent. Cicero, how do you think uh, of this dynamic was shown
1: in this episode? Time warp factor five. Um, so <laughs> the, the, I, I, I think um, I think this dynamic has – for anybody who was uh, potentially on the fence or kind of dubious about the fact that there will be a Section 31 uh, show, I think this episode right here cemented why that show could exist and why it will be successful. Why it why it has the bones necessary to be a success um, because we get the – we get the dynamic between um, between Pike and Tyler, where Pike wants to trust him. You know, like Tyler, when he talks to him, he sounds earnest. But his but it's Tyler's past that makes Pike not trust him. But his present really makes him seem like a trustworthy person. Uh, makes him seem like someone who would fit in on that Discovery crew that he is now feeling at home. Uh, aboard, uh, and and then when he sees that he sh- when he sees that he shoots and quotes Tyler, uh, there is there is immediately both uh, Anson Mountain's great, but uh, there is the satisfaction and horror uh, when he realizes that, wait a minute, oh I shot that bastard, oh wait a minute, but I shot him, like why would I do that you know mm-hmm. and he's working with me but then uh, also in the episode we get this interaction between Burnham and Emperor Georgiou where she shows the duplicity of um, both who she is and who she is right that she has this deep and an undying care and i would say love for Burnham in in you know in every dimension Where she will do things, she will clearly and easily break the rules and make herself look to be the fool, uh, so that Burnham can can succeed. Uh, And then we also get to see uh, the—I forget his name—but we also get to see the commander of the of the captain of the. uh, You're jumping jumping ahead a little bit. All right, all right, all right. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But, it's all right. but, I, yeah, I, but I appreciate like, your enthusiasm. Yes, but like the yeah, the fact is um yeah, section 31 is is set up to to go places and and I'm ready to go with them.
0: Totally well said. Sorry man. Zaki. No, 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 no problem. I hey, any discussion is good discussion. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page when we get there. That's all. But uh Zaki, the uh the uh the the dynamic between Ash Tyler and Captain Pike—how does this strike you? And uh, what what do you think it it's going to be like going forward?
2: Uh, you know, I like it uh, for for a variety of ways. I mean, I think I think uh, by you know Pike, we're going to reflexively have an affinity for him. So I like the idea of having Pike's growing affinity for Tyler allow we in the audience to to feel that same uh, growth. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. You know, um, I think it's, a, I mean, certainly for me in the past two episodes, I've grown to like Tyler a lot more than I I did last season or that I would have expected to when he returned, you know? So that says something about the way they've done it, uh, the way they've constructed that. And it allows for, uh, I think something richer where there is that question hanging over him and um, it, it makes his journey a more interesting one.
0: Yeah. Most definitely. Um, I mean, the thing that I find probably most interesting about them in particular is that they're both serving as kind of proxies for their primary allegiances, at least before you get into the very real affinity that Pike is developing for Tyler. Because in, I think it was the last episode, Tyler has this rather unwavering devotion to the idea of Section 31 as a necessity, and Pike questions that pretty openly. But now that you see them sort of forced to work together, I I love how Pike's default stance is, as Cicero pretty much alluded to, a desire to trust. It is a very different stance than the crew of Discovery was accustomed to over the the last season, to say the least. And um, the fact that he can't allow himself at least not yet to fully trust tyler even after having gone through the things that they did uh it shows that pike is still willing and believing in the ability to trust everyone under his command including someone whom uh someone whose allegiances he openly questions you know it's not even something that he keeps to himself and uh, so I kind of wonder if we're going to come to a point by the end of the season where Tyler is going to like, – like Tyler's soul is going to be a subject of struggle between Pike and Leland. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if that comes to a head or not. Um, what did you guys make of the fact that Discovery's probe got futurized and almost killed this pair? Do you think that this is a machination of something that we may have seen before? Or is this something or someone new, Rachel? What do you think?
3: I think it has something to do with a uh, um, short trek with uh, the Odysseus guy.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
3: I don't know what was his name.
1: Uh, Craft. Craft. Yeah. yeah. Calypso Kraft. was the name
3: Krafty of Crafty
1: Odysseus. Yes. I
3: um. Yeah, I think it has something to do with the Vidrash.
0: right? Which we found out was a bastardized version of federation of the word federation
3: perhaps so i think it has something to do with that war and uh it went forward to that war and they did something and sent it back and Mm -hmm. that's what i think the red angel has to do with it's all it's It's all
0: all tied together it's
3: all coming together
0: (laughs) cicero do you think that that's a, a cogent
1: hypothesis uh, yeah. I, in, in fact, it was it's so cogent is the exact same hypothesis that I came to uh, independent mm-hmm. of Rachel. Um, but, uh, you know, hashtag Rachel is right. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do think that it has. Um, my suspicion is or at least my hope is that we will find they will find a way to um, to marry. These short treks that we watched into uh, into the season, and that uh, their way of doing that with regards to what we what we watched was that Zora was responsible for creating these. Right. Yes, you shared uh, the, that the, the, the ship, uh, in the last the episode, I believe, right? Right. Yes. Exactly. Yes, I
0: think you're right. For what it's worth, I think that that's a really solid hypothesis. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Zachy, are you in line with that way of thinking or do you think this may have been something we've seen before? Or do you think that uh that's they don't they that the writing staff doesn't want to go somewhere we may have seen before?
2: Uh I mean, I'm willing to wait and see. I mean, I I I'm willing to co-sign with what you guys are saying for now, mm-hmm. you know. I'm I'm open.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I am. I mean, it's it's always fun to think about whether and clearly the writing staff has demonstrated an affinity for going into the lore pretty deeply. Uh, But I I think I'm in agreement with, with you guys in in that the source of this is going to be something fundamentally different, but time will tell as in all things. Uh, Well, let's move along to the next relationship. So the family of Sarek is continuing to betray its own dysfunction and Burnham seems to have ignited a side of Amanda that's rarely seen in her fury Sarek is also showing an uncharacteristic shakiness concerning the decisions he's made surrounding his family. And Spock seems to play his own role in this episode by being a continuing point of contention between, well, everybody in different capacities. How do you think this part of the family's story is playing out, just normatively, and do you think there will be any kind of resolution between any of them by the time the season ends? Uh, Zaki, the family of Sarek, I know, in general has a pretty close spot in your heart. But when you inject Michael into the mix and you see how this dynamic is playing out, what do you think of it?
2: You know, it's interesting. I mean, for, for me, I'm, I'm willing to roll with all of it. Uh, because you know, I mean, part, partly I think it's like, once you buy in to the idea that, Oh, here's this previously unseen, you know, member of this family and we're going to see how she, uh, you know, plugged in, right. Once you bind to that, you're like, all right, let's see, let's see what's happening. But, you know, I can easily see people getting irked by how certain, especially in this episode, I think more than, more than any other ones we're getting, we're, we're moving these characters out of uh, the boxes they've been to a large extent mm. um, in terms of their characterization, Amanda, Sarek, you know, and I'm, I'm curious how, how that's playing longitudinally for, for, for longtime fans. I mean, I, I like it. I think it's interesting and it adds texture. It certainly, I mean, like Amanda, you know, I mean, Jane Wyatt played her twice. Yeah. We didn't really, or, or three times, I guess she, she was in, uh, didn't she do the voice? And no, no, that was major Barrett. That was major Barrett on the animated show. Right, um, but Mark Leonard came back for that episode. I know. Mark Leonard did come back. That's right. Um, you know, so, so she was, she was sort of an icon. And so now she's a person. I think, I think, uh, I, I like it. I like that she's feisty, that she has a personality. She's not servile. You know, I think that, that all of that is interesting and it allows uh, Star Trek's past to keep up with our present, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah,
0: I think that that's a really interesting point, especially uh, considering that in Journey to Babel, she did kind of have this rather servile countenance about her and we now see a different yeah. pinning related to that so yeah that's an excellent point cicero how do you think the the dynamic uh played out in this episode between all the members
1: of the family of Sarek? this may be odd to say but i think it played out uh like humans oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know that that uh they showed as you as you so aptly put it a, a level of dysfunction that you would not attribute to uh to cleons to Vulcans. Mm-hmm. And um I, I think that uh, there you know that there was there was so much conflict and, and you were aware tangentially aware and, and you know kind of at the surface of the conflict between uh Spock and Sarek And you are aware of the conflict between Burnham and Spock, and uh, you know, and Burnham with her upbringing, and 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 even the uh, loving but but weird relationship between Burnham and Sarek. Um, But just this 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 much depth and and kind of. you know, introspection into their the the entire dynamic was something that we had not seen before. Uh and you know, it was very it was very relatable and that's, you know, and that makes it human. Absolutely. Very well said. Rachel, the family of Sarek, what do you
3: think about this? Uh I thought James Frayne's performance was really good. Mm-hmm. How it seemed like Sarek was kind of just barely keeping it together. Yeah i wonder if that's his disease starting to show up
0: (laughs) yikes early onset (laughs) early
3: onset (laughs) emotional problems um emotional control problems Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe he's just really really upset but it's like if vulcans actually feel like a thousand times like human more than humans do but like they just keep it all under wraps like imagine how like pissed he must have been to show like any emotion right yeah well
0: desperation too it seemed right yeah 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 Yeah. i mean i remember reading a book i can't remember which book it was but i know it was by judith and garfield reeve stevens where they described a vulcan like shaking his jaw as an intense display of emotion for a vulcan and he did that in this moment when he came upon everybody and I don't know if that was necessarily like something that he might have been briefed on or if it just came from his own understanding of how to play a Vulcan that's under emotional duress. But uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like Sarek might be making the best decisions in his capacity as a father. Uh, but- you know, we who are we to judge? I'm kind of you can't to- judge
3: other people's parenting techniques. <laughs> well, I guess not,
0: but I mean, I'm kind of used to thinking that way about Sarek, Just considering everything that we did know about him prior to Discovery and the way that he ultimately raised his son, um, but Discovery is adding um, dimensions to it that I find really satisfying. And overall, I like the. I guess the, the emotional vulnerability from him that I certainly didn't expect to see. Uh, so it's all a win in my book. Uh, we also discovered in this episode that Spock has a learning disability that's similar to earth-based dyslexia that gives some new insight into his ostracization from his peers and his family in a way, I suppose. What do you think of this as a new wrinkle to Spock's character since it has implications for his whole history – and not just on discovery. Zaki, did that uh, strike you in any particular way?
2: I mean, it's all, it's all wait and see for me. So I'm, I'm to, to quote Spock. It is fascinating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cicero, what does that do to Spock or for Spock in your eyes?
1: Um, It doesn't do much because I think that I think for, as far as the Vulcans were concerned, uh, much like they said in uh, the, the, the first Kelvin movie, um, his disability is the fact that he's human. Right. You know, so, so the, the assumption is, and, and I I guess logically you can make this leap without the, with the lack of evidence is that the reason he has this disease is that he is not a pure Vulcan. Right. Um, That, you know, Mm. this, this abnormality reared his head because the line is impure so so his first disability is is his humanity mm-hmm. and then this and then this learning disability is is really just kind of tied into the fact that there is this level of xenophobia um that he he can't escape sure Rachel, did this strike you in any particular way?
3: It made me profoundly worried about Vulcan society. If, like, (laughs) disability is looked uh, on with such disdain, it's very sad, I think. Yeah. Um, Because I think that, like, intellectual disabilities or dyslexia and stuff like that can be, um, are fine (laughs) to have. (laughs) And, um... Not only that, but, you know, offer some valuable insight into how the brain works, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's how you learn how it works by, you know, people whose brains work, you know, differently than normal. So, it makes me very sad that Vulcans don't appreciate infinite diversity (laughs) and infinite combinations. I don't know, it's it's kind of weird.
0: It's come up a fair amount. I mean, the reason that I bring it up, I saw some people, what a shock, complaining on Twitter about this. Uh, It makes me respect Spock more and just kind of look up to him even more because who is the primary vision of intellectual power in the Star Trek franchise other than Spock? And we learned that he had this limitation growing up and he still overcame it to such a degree that he's a symbol of utter brilliance in the entirety of the Federation. He's a form. He's a a mind at the forefront of the Federation hundreds of years into the future. And, uh, and I think that that kind of adds a really interesting aspect to the things that he had to overcome in order to ultimately achieve the greatness that he did. I mean, that's the benefit of this show taking place in the prime universe is that we know the heights that Spock reaches in spite of being ostracized by his own people, and in spite now of having a learning disability, and I think that that's a really cool angle to take the the franchise's foremost icon. So, just for what it's worth, uh, well, let's move along to another relationship, and Cicero already touched on this a little bit earlier. But Burnham and Giorgio, they were a big part of this episode, and Giorgio seems to have an affinity for Michael, even knowing that this isn't her Michael. Uh, Where do you think Giorgio's interest in her comes from? Is this tactical? Does she actually care for Michael, considering their relationship in the mirror universe? Cicero, you started to talk about this, so expand a little bit.
1: Well, you know, I talked about this last season, and uh, you know, I I think it was a little bit harder to see then, um, but I am just, I am just that astute, guys. Um, And and, and that is, that is, that there is um, even in the mirror universe. Uh, matronly love uh and matronly guidance still is there there is a resemblance of that even in the mirror universe that is similar to what we would see in in the prime universe and that is what we have um between between Giorgio and Burnham and even prime Giorgio had uh, a matronly bond with with, uh with Burnham with Prime Burnham and uh, I think that the Emperor Gigio looks at Prime Michael Burnham and sees aspects of the of the woman she l- raised and loved um and admires those things in her and admires other traits in her uh, and and will continue to look out for her whenever she has the opportunity to, to do so. I do think, though, um, having said all of that, I do think, though, that if if uh, given the opportunity and and it needed to happen, she would not hesitate to kill Prime Burnham. Um, she may feel bad about it afterwards, but she'd still do it.
0: Hmm. Oh, it sounds like a troubled dynamic, if nothing else, but an interesting one, that's for sure. Rachel, what do you think, Giorgio and and Burnham, or Mirror Giorgio and Prime Burnham, however you want to slice it?
3: Yeah, I think that um, whatever their relationship was in the mirror universe, um, Mirror Giorgio loves Burnham in her own way, mm-hmm. uh, which I agree probably doesn't preclude her murdering her if necessary, but she does love her in her own way, and so she is. Um, you know, she was looking out for her best interest in some ways. I also think that there was something in this, you know, helping Michael for her for Giorgio. Yeah. Um, I think she's trying to undermine Leland at every opportunity, and this certainly makes him look real bad. Yeah. Uh so I think that I you know they can be both of those things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she has a weakness for Michael, but also, uh, any opportunity to make Leland look like a fool or make him look incompetent is good for her mm-hmm. because she has ideas, <laughs> she's got she's scheming,
0: yeah. Well, well, we'll get to that a little bit more in a second, but uh, Zachy is uh, the resident despiser of the mirror universe aspect, at least of season one, uh, what do you, what do you think about the way that this relationship is coming together? I mean, you seem pretty effusive in your praise of season two so far, but is, uh, is a descendant of that aspect of season one that you didn't care for all that much turning into something that you might like, or are you kind of ambivalent towards it?
2: Uh, I, I would say, I mean, of necessity, like mirror Giorgio isn't going anywhere. So it's like, all right, well uh, might as well just sort of hunker down. You know, I, I am sort of, I'm, I'm fascinated by what her, what her presence in the, uh, in the, in the regular universe means about what morality is like in the, in the mirror universe. You know, I mean, we've always established that the mirror universe is like, Full of a bunch of really evil people, and so if we're at a place where mirror morality is, uh, you know, effective and useful, and you know, and sort of her brand of scheming and whatever is is something that's that's, I mean, not not necessarily aspirational, but not something we frown upon. Then what do, what does that say about all of it? Mm-hmm. uh, and so that's the question I have, you know it's like like I get it because they're set you know if if she's gonna be headlining her own series or she's gonna be starring on a series, then mirror Giorgio has to be uh we have to like her even if we hate liking her, we have to like her and I'm, I'm reflexively I'm like, well, the mirror people are bad <laughs> so you don't get to you don't get to be the emperor unless you're a bad person, you know yeah so I don't know the that's, worst that's, the
1: worst of the bad people, right?
2: Yeah, you know what I mean? So so like now we're like, ah, oh, but she's like so scheming and I love it. And it's like, well, we should not love it. I mean, that's not good, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh. I, mean, I will say <laughs> this though. I mean, we did conceivably get at least a power grab from a less bad character in the future of the Mirror Universe. Uh, like right. Spock wasn't nearly as evil as he could have been. No, that's true, uh, so there it seems like there could be capability of uh
1: some kind of nobility in the mirror universe, but
0: uh I mean, no, I no. think
1: this this goes back to what I was saying in season one about the the mirror universe, and that it is not as or at least the way that discovery has painted it is is such that it is not that different from our own universe and you know as we look at uh, our genetic cousins in in the animal kingdom the percentages are i'll leave those to Rachel because she's you know she is the the actual scientist here um while maybe not a biologist um she she would know better than most of us but but the differences between apes and humans is minuscule and i think you know i think in the same way the differences between the prime universe and the mirror universe are minuscule, but those differences are so great and dynamic that, that it fundamentally changes the way you think about us being normal and them being evil.
0: Yeah. You know, I just read, uh, the ninth issue of a DC series that's running right now called doomsday clock. Uh, Spoiler alert! If you're reading, Do- Zach, are you reading Doomsday Clock?
2: I'm not. Okay, but feel free to spoil. Either. All right, all right. So it was
0: it was revealed in this most recent issue that the much of the changes that took place in the DC universe that spawned like the New Fifty Two and some of these other continuity shifting things right. is because Doctor Manhattan from Watchmen yeah. moved the Alan Scott uh, moved Alan Scott's Green Lantern ring just out of his reach in his origin story. And since Alan Scott didn't become the Green Lantern, it led to this cascade of events that ultimately completely reshaped that shared universe.
1: Butterfly so, effect, maybe
0: Exactly. So who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe the mirror universe is only slightly different from things as they played out and it led to such massive organizational changes that it just completely reshaped the world. Who knows? Well,
1: Yeah. I mean, so that's the thing is, is when I was talking about, uh, Giorgio and, and how matronly she is. Um, and this is, this is probably going to sound bad. Um, doesn't sound bad in my head, but I'm going to say it anyway, is I can see lots of similarities between, uh, how, Emperor Jojo parented uh, and the life lessons that she gives, the advice that she gives. um, Sure. I can see lots of similarities between how she does it and the way that I was raised and some of the matronly advice that I was given Mm -hmm. um, that it, 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 you know, it it definitely wasn't all flowers and sausages growing up, <laughs> growing up in, in, in the Holmes household um, with, uh, with, you know, my mother uh, raising, raising me. Um, and, and like, so I, I definitely was given, I was, I was left my, I left my home equipped with the tools necessary to navigate life and not be taken uh, by surprise um Mm by the by the harsh realities of the of the real world um and for for that i thank her and i think that uh emperor JoJo did the exact same thing And, and and that way i can see um some of the nuance of the mirror universe
0: very well said uh last question just really quick so another relationship that could have major implications in a new series is that contest inside Section Thirty-One between Giorgio and Leland? Is this a dynamic you're keen to explore further in the dedicated Section Thirty-One show, or could Giorgio be setting it up so that Leland doesn't last that long? Zaki, briefly, what do you think about that?
2: I, I like it. I think I think it it adds an interesting wrinkle, mm-hmm. uh, and it, I mean it does a good job of putting us on Giorgio's side. Sure. Yeah. You know, because because Leland is, we don't like him. You know, so they're yeah. they're stacking the chessboard a little bit to make it make, make it more palatable to 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 be down with with whatever the Empress is doing.
0: Yeah, true. Rachel,
3: I don't think Leland's making it that long. You don't
0: think he's gonna survive?
3: No. no, I think he's he's only here to get something bad's gonna happen. To something he's here to get killed. Um, Or to be an obstacle for Pike, I guess, and Mm -hmm. whatever happens to him is gonna sort of set up um, the
1: um, Section Thirty-One kind of show. All right, yeah. Cicero has has Giorgio been cast as a regular for the Section Thirty-One show? She's the lead of the show. She is the lead. Yes. Okay, well then, yeah, then he is, he is definitely (laughs) not long for this world. He's (laughs) done. He is Crocodile D. Yes. (laughs) Uh,
0: You heard it here first. Uh, Also, just as a side note, Possessed Arium is scary. We didn't really talk about that, but holy hell, was she unsettling. But uh, let's move along to Season 2, Episode 8, If Memory Serves. Once again, a quick and dirty recap. So Burnham and Spock travel to Talos IV, where Spock seeks the aid of the Telosians to heal his mind, but the price for the procedure forces Burnham to confront her troubled past with Spock. Spock reveals that he mind-melded with the Red Angel, and that it's attempting to alter the course of history to avert a galactic catastrophe. Meanwhile, Stamets attempts to reconnect with Culber, but Culber is not ready to restart his former life. Vina contacts Pike, revealing the whereabouts of Spock and Burnham. Tyler struggles with his past as Voke and faces a confrontation with Hugh Culber. Section 31 tries to capture Spock and Burnham, but the Telosians use their deception tricks to allow them to escape back to Discovery. So... Oh boy. What did you guys think of this one overall and how did the previously on Star Trek recap do in kicking this one off for you? And what are
1: your overall opinions about how this one played out? Cicero. So, all right. I, man, dualities, right? So I was, I fanboyed, right? Cause it's like, oh man, old, old Trek. And like the previously on is footage from a show that's 50 years old. Like yeah. that's, awesome. Right. Like it was amazing. But at the same time, I, I was like, all right, I get it. Like, you know, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to me. And I know that I'm thinking, you know, I'm talking about me, but I, you know, I live in, I live inside my body and only mine. So, uh, you know, I can talk about mine. So like, I really feel like they are really trying to hit us over the head with the fact that, oh yeah, you know, we watch these shows. We love these shows. We're all about these shows. We know where we are. We know what we're doing. Trust us. And uh, like I'm already there. So the more I see of them, like eh, 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 I, I'm just like eh, okay, I get it. Eh, you know, move <laughs> on. <laughs> so, so yeah, I loved it. And then, eh all right all right
0: zaki <laughs> how about you how did uh how did the recap do in starting this one off and what are your overall opinions about how this full episode played out
2: well i i love the recap and i love it for uh, a few reasons foremost among them being that yet again we we have you know discovery is hushing all the naysayers who are like oh this isn't the prime universe this isn't canon or whatever and it's like no not only is this in the prime universe but here here it is here's the original star trek pilot we're not we're not redoing it to pretty it up and make it look like our show we're just saying no that's happened before and now this is now and it's all connected Mm -hmm. i mean i love it you know yeah and then the other thought was like is this the longest gap between an episode and the previously on (laughs) right in history, history. right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, might be, man, I loved it. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I love it. I love the whole episode.
0: Excellent. Rachel.
3: I'm, I appreciate that. They realized that some people might not have uh, had the wherewithal to go back and watch the cage. Yeah. Um, after seeing the word Talos for, because <laughs> um, I think there is some stuff in here that might be a little bit confusing or inside, like inside baseball, if you oh, didn't yeah. know yeah. Um, what mm-hmm. was going on. So it was, it was necessary for the people's enjoyment of the episode to realize that Pike has been to Talos for before Pike and Spock have been there before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it was, it was necessary. It served it was a cool.
0: mechanical purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Like I think, you know, more than being fan service, it was also the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like help get everybody up to speed. Yeah. Uh, overall, I really like this episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Every episode, just uh, after every episode of this show now, I'm like, Oh, that was the best one.
1: <laughs> so
0: <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah. That
1: is a great sign. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah um, I mean, the recap it definitely got me. I was totally on board with it. And I also respected it even just a little bit more because it very easily could have used even the remastered effect shots from Tos's HD remastering because the cage went through a relatively extensive remaster, even compared with every other episode that got new visual effect shots and it used the originals Uh, and it painted a very clear dividing line. And I saw a friend of mine on Twitter who, uh, didn't like it because it called to attention. He felt he called it, it called too much attention to the differences between old Trek and Discovery. And I don't really agree. I mean, we've talked oh, at yeah. nauseum in this show about how the yes, the aesthetics are all different, but the events are not. And uh, and I, I totally agree with Rachel in that it served a very mechanical purpose in informing you. About all of the history that the cage is bringing to this episode specifically, and without trying to, as Zachy said, frame it differently or frame it in some sort of modern aesthetic, when that really isn't all that necessary. Uh, right. It's bear hugging the fact that this is prime Star Trek and it's descending from the the granddaddy of all Star Trek in the cage. So yeah. I I really liked it, and it was just the prelude to an episode that I enjoyed significantly. Not just because of its connections to the pilot, but because of the ways that it positions characters that we have just been introduced to on this show. And we'll get to that in a second. In fact, we'll get to it right now. So let's talk about the primarily explored character dynamics. So first up, Dr. Stamets and... Doctor, Well, Stamets, Stamets is a doctor, but they said that th- in the comments. I think so, yes. Yeah, PhD. I think so. Yeah. He's a PhD, PhDs yeah. she's
3: are doctors too. I'm going to make you call me doctor once again. I
0: know you are. That's right. But you'll have earned it. So, you know, I'll just say Lieutenant Commander Stamets and Dr. Colbert. So, Stamets is making a really notable effort to try and pick things up where the two left off in their relationship but Dr. Colber is clearly traumatized from his recent experiences, including the way he was resurrected. What do you guys think of the ways in which the two are interacting now? And does it feel, even in spite of all of the craziness that this scenario has brought into their lives, does it feel real? Rachel?
3: Does what feel real?
0: The craziness of Stamets and Culber. All of the zaniness that they've had to endure. The tribulations of their relationship.
3: Their uh, emotional connection. Does it feel
0: emotionally real, what they're going through?
3: Yes, absolutely. Because... I mean, I don't know what it's like to have your significant other come back from the dead, but, I, <laughs> like, like Stammis' response to it is, like, completely reasonable. I don't think he's being, you know, clingy or outrageous. He's just like, Yeah, I'm happy you're back, and I'm going to try and make you as comfortable as possible. It's like he's trying to take care of someone who's sick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... Colbert is also completely understandable what he's going through because he's in like this weird body that's like made out of Tilly's DNA, weird. so it's not really his body. I mean, he was dead, like <laughs> yeah, that's weird. And also, like his the guy who murdered him is just like walking around the ship like dum da dum da dum. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think. Everything is completely understandable, and they're sort of the conflict between them is it's nobody's fault, and it, it's really sad, but mm-hmm. it it's also real, like yeah, when one person has something very traumatic happen, it can cause strain in your relationship, very true, yeah,
0: that's a good way of putting it. Cicero, how does this uh feel to you, this new dynamic when they're trying to sort of find their way back to some kind of semblance of normality?
1: Um it, man, uh so Rachel, yes, they it's completely realistic, um, you know, given the variables <laughs> that we're dealing with, right? right yeah. Um so but but I think where where Rachel, what Rachel's missing is that. It's not that one person went through something traumatic. Both people went through something traumatic. They just went through it from different perspectives, and they're dealing with it from opposite ends of Mm -hmm. that of of those perspectives. Um, You know, we've we've got we've got uh, Stamets who is ecstatic that uh, the love of his life has returned, and he is trying to make you know he spent. All of this time, once once Hugh was gone, thinking about what he would do in the just like, you know, when you if you've as as we've all kind of lost people in our lives, we've think about what we would do if we had one more day yeah. and and Hugh's Hugh is back. so now Paul Stamitz has that he has that chance. Not only does he have one more day, he's got. One more forever, yeah. With 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 him, so he's gonna make the most of it, and that's what he's trying to do. But on the other side, Hugh Colbert, which uh, I, I've stopped calling Doctor Colbert, Hugh Colbert. I'm calling him Huge Colbert because, oh my goodness, uh, <laughs> when he was in the Mycelial Network, all he was doing was pushups. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so. Uh, but yeah, so you know, huge Colbert was was in the my in the mycelial network, <laughs> just just like he was so discombobulated and so terrified with what was going on, and now he's back from the dead. He like he's so like disoriented. Uh, besides what else, whatever else is going on, the fact that this person is like pouncing on him. Is like it's gotta be discomforting. It's gotta be just uh just completely out of place. So yeah, I'm totally buying everything that they're selling right now. Keep it going.
0: Absolutely. Zachy, I know that um you and I shared a particular flavor of disappointment in uh in Culber's death, but now that we're sort of seeing where that Rather traumatic event has led to. What do you think of this dynamic now between Colber and uh, and Stamets?
2: Well, I mean, I'm of two minds on it because I think it is, as drama goes, it is interesting. It it does uh, serve to human further humanize uh, Stamets, which I think is is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other side of it is, to some extent, it, my thoughts are the same as like you know when he died like it's like well it feels like the writers are just trying to play keep away between these two characters mm. like okay now we got to come up with a new thing to keep them apart and it's like well we know they're going to end up together We're, it's you know so so it, it it to some extent uh it it feels like they have to play a thread out and i think i think to some extent like i have to withhold judgment until we see big picture how how culbert's storyline is going to impact, you know, the the, the season storyline and I think then everything I say probably won't even matter. But th- it does feel a little bit like that, like okay, now they're in separate quarters. Well, let's start the clock until they're back in the same quarters. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I can see that. And and I mean, to some extent, I mean, when you think about it, this is the first time Star Trek has really done a long uh, a long-lasting romantic relationship. True. So you know, other than like Cisco and Cassidy Yates or whatever, but you know, like, you know, we, we got like the O'Brien's marriage or whatever, but this idea of, of really a a romance between two people. I can't, I'm, I'm struggling to think of a comparable example. Well, the difficulty
0: Uh, that they're enduring also, I mean, at least to me feels a little bit more profound because I think the, the most pronounced difficulty that Cisco and Cassidy had was when she was, ferrying supplies. Was it to the Maquis briefly when yeah. she, right. she had to go okay. to prison for a little bit. And, uh, and that felt a little more manufactured or that mm. to me, for some reason that felt a little more keep away than this does just because sure. And I don't know if, right. if, if, this is true or not, but it doesn't seem like when they actually killed Culber off in that moment, I don't know if it was part of the plan to bring him back, but when it ultimately did become part of the plan, uh, I feel like they're taking it in a direction that is at minimum interesting and at maximum pretty heart-wrenching because it feels like such an authentic relationship as you alluded to before,
2: Zachy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It it absolutely does,
1: yeah. Yeah, you guys are forgetting uh, the great romance and the great will they, won't they between Chakotay and (laughs) Seven of Nine.
3: That was like half an episode of (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: excitement. And then they turned
0: it into this really big beat in the finale, which I thought. Yeah, yeah, it's so weird. (laughs) Yeah, oh well.
1: They love each other, guys. They do. Trust us. You think
0: Avengers Endgame is the big endgame, man. Go back right. and watch Voyager Endgame. Right. Boy. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, the so let's move along to the next relationship because this, I think, is probably a centerpiece of the episode. The one that's probably the most powerful exploration is the relationship that we finally get to see play out at least a little bit between Burnham and Spock a dynamic that most fans have probably been waiting to see since we first learned that Burnham was raised by Sarek. And it's definitely on an antagonistic side, uh, at least where Spock is concerned. But Burnham is determined still to assist her brother, even though we know now what the moment was by the time we get to the end of this episode that sort of drove them apart. And it's that, that insult that we've heard before slung at Spock in some pretty, uh, disruptive scenarios when someone calls him a half-breed we actually watched this side of paradise to watch Kirk call him that for the first time uh, in TOS and it wasn't quite as uh, emotionally powerful as this one was but there is definitely a history of, uh, of Spock being perceived that way so as soon as Burnham said it uh, m- the bottom dropped out of my stomach I was rather mortified by that as sort of the catalyst for this Um, but Burnham still determined to assist Spock is the long wait for this interaction paid off by what we see here. How do you feel in general about what this could mean for their interactions in the remainder of the season? And what does this just mean for their characters as you understand them now? Zachy.
2: I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a lot to process. I mean, I, I think that we we're given this, this level of closeness between them that it makes us value Michael more. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then the, you know, you can't help but keep coming back to that question of like, well, where the hell is she? You know, in, in the canon, like it's, you know, it's, it's that push and pull between uh, what, what is right now and what has been and what we know will be. Mm -hmm. And, so so the the dynamics as they play out within this episode are great i mean the 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 you know the the scene where
3: where um
2: we see the flashback but then it's them as adults talking to each other in the flashback yeah. i mean that's like one of the best dialogue scenes i've ever seen in a star trek it's so good just the raw emotion mm-hmm. and you know she, like she doesn't mean what she's saying it was so good uh so I love all of that, but again, there's that sense of like, you know, there's a part of me that's like, are we it, like, what 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 does the future hold for Michael Burnham?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: that that accounts for her being so important to Spock's formative years and to be completely persona non grata for for everything that we've known before you know i mean that's that's like a nitpicky continuity question but you can't help but think about that because we see just in this episode that they they truly think of each other as siblings
0: yeah no, you know? yeah i think that that's that's really really well put and i mean the implications are that far reaching and i i come to the same questions admittedly so very well said. Cicero, how do you think this uh, this played out? And, and what was your take on that pivotal moment where we learned about the thing that drove them apart?
1: I wasn't crying. You were crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so th- the thing we knew about, you know, once we knew that uh, who Michael Burnham was, you know, and her, her uh family status and relationship and dynamics and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, like Zaki kind of uh, alluded to was that we, we've thought about like, oh, well, how did this come to be? And, you know, how is it that we, we don't know about, uh, uh you know, Burnham from Spock, this ca- character that we know and love so well, but When we first met Burnham and Spock as children, we we believed we believed the what they we bought what they were selling, which was that they were they had always kind of been emotionally divorced from each other. Mm -hmm. And then later in this episode, and that's that's why this episode is so brilliant. Later in this episode, we learn right away that that Spock wasn't emotionally divorced from burnham at least at some point um after their their introduction yeah um because he was terrified when he woke up when he awoken from uh that nightmare or the premonition of of burnham's death uh, and the first you know uh presence of the uh the first appearance of the red angel um and he immediately went and told his parents so he could you know prevent this horrible thing from happening mm-hmm. um and then to see that moment um, and the way it played out was it was just it was like you said it was gut wrenching it was so oh. so painful so you know I had famously or infamously speculated about what the the dynamic between the two of them was yes um, and and um, you know I was wrong about it. But to me, this was so much worse. Sure. Actually, like, if we had heard about it, that'd be one thing. But to experience it, and I think it was extra effective because they removed the children. They removed these characters that we don't know um, and, 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 and in, in their stead put the characters that we do know uh, and just had them continue the dialogue um it was just it was so so painful and then once we removed ourselves from that uh from that flashback from that memory mm-hmm. to have uh to have spock say what did he say that uh i realize i realize that you were trying to spare my feelings um but that's irrelevant or whatever it was that he said to her that and oh he, like a, he you regret know, that she, idolizing her right yes he regretted he regretted idolizing her I was just like oh my oh my mm. gosh that was, <laughs> it was just it was so hurt like I I literally felt ill from from experiencing those things so kudos to the writers uh, and kudos to the director and and then of course kudos to the performers because that was amazing
0: yeah Who'd have thought that Vulcans could stir such emotions?
1: Right. (laughs) Right.
0: Rachel, how did all of this come together for you?
3: Uh, Yeah, so we had speculated about all of the crazy things that could possibly have happened um, between them. And uh, I liked that what happened was pretty banal. Mm. Like, (laughs) she just, you know, talked shit to him. Um, and it really really worked uh it worked because that is the kind of thing that causes horrible rifts among family members mm-hmm. um and it worked because it was so well executed for the reasons that have been you know described thus far so uh yeah i was really pleased with it i was pleased that it wasn't like a rabbit out of a hat kind of deal like oh she did this and there's this whole <laughs> new element no it was just like she she was mean to him and when he was a child and it really scarred him and their relationship and uh yeah it was it was great yeah very true yeah and um
0: sister i think you kind of hit the nail on the head especially when you're talking about uh, the fact that the the performers were changed out for the faces that we did know, uh, so that we could actually sort of experience not just the moment itself, but the the emotional weight of everything all at once. Uh, it was a really, really effective way to 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 portray that rift and how how it was created. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was certainly difficult to watch, but um, not only did the scene really pay off the expectations even you know and i i talked down to the idea of this being a sort of antagonistic relationship but it's okay if it is if it's done well and this was done exceptionally well so not only did i become a believer in the the, the direction they were taking the characters but i also became a believer in ethan peck because of this scene yeah. like
2: oh, i'm sure. totally
0: yeah. sure how he was going to, uh, to approach Spock. And since this is the first real true performance that we've gotten out of him as the character, uh, he, he brings it. And he brings it in a way that it might not be uh, overridingly familiar, but the character is written in such a way that I can see how it's the same guy at a different point in his life. But also Peck clearly has a dramatic dedication to, to, to the material and that he got inside of it in order to try and effectively portray it properly. That stoicism that was hardened, I guess, by this deep emotional wound that was inflicted on him as a child, I immediately believed it. And uh, and I was really, really impressed. I mean, Sonequa Martin-Green, she can make me cry as soon as I look into like when she gets those super wide eyes and the tears are streaming down her face. I already have a hard enough time keeping it together, watching that, but seeing these two play off of each other in this way was spectacular and heart wrenching. And I can think of no greater compliment to give to to two actors in a single scene. So uh, let's, well, let's talk about another relationship. So this time it's the dark one between Colbert and Tyler so Culber is letting his dark side out a bit and confronting his murderer. And this was probably the most uniquely emotional part of this episode that's localized just to discovery characters, meaning that, you know, the as powerful as the relationship is between Burnham and Spock, we still are anchored by a character that we've been watching for fifty years. But the the episode still brought it considering characters that it introduced us to in the last season, in a way that I thought was really great. So do you think Colbert needed this moment of catharsis and was Saru right to let it play out the way that he did? What do you guys think of just this conflict and this interaction? Cicero?
1: Um, Man. So I've really enjoyed it again. Huge Colbert um, <laughs> getting it out. Uh, like he, he was, he was going for it. Um, I think there's one part that you're that you're not talking about and that was Saru. I, I you know, I think that there was like if if these two were were fighting um I think Saru was the referee and, and you know uh and um I think that we got to see we got to see so much in that. Um you know, Tyler trying to accept the faults that I mean He wasn't in control of his body when these things were happening. And everyone logically understands that. But, you know, like how, how well can you logically understand the fact that, you know, there was a Klingon grafted to a, to the human's bones and his brain was taking over and he, you know, he killed, he killed the doctor. Um, but then this doctor who, who doesn't really know where he is at this moment, um, but, but really only knows one thing that that guy killed him. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, like who in the history of the world, besides if you're a religious, Jesus Christ uh, has had the opportunity to face his killer literally. Right. So, uh, so, you know, Hugh Colbert comes back and he gets to get out his, his angst and his anger on and exact some sort of revenge on the person who murdered him, who turned him into the person that he is. And Tyler, in knowing that, did everything he could to let him get get uh, his metaphorical rocks off. Huge Colbert get his rocks off, um, but also preserving his own life. Uh, so they they worked it out, and and you know and and Colbert got it out of his system, and now he's kind of again left to figure out what's next but also i i love that conversation that they had at the end where like uh cobra says i don't know who i am anymore and 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 tyler says are you talking to you or are you talking to me yeah you know, and, and like they're going through the same thing. And that was great, man. This show is so damn good. It's so damn good. Yeah. I hate you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry,
0: (laughs) Rachel, uh, Colbert and Tyler, how did this play out for you? I
3: I think Cicero really covered it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, It's a, it was really good. Really good. Because they are sort of like reflections of each other's, um, each other's situations, mm-hmm. and they are enemies. Um, Saru probably should have stopped it. I think I'm on uh, Captain Pike's side here. That like. He, he was kind of like i'm gonna see where this goes it's like no, no like you shouldn't let people fight especially if one of them previously murdered the other one <laughs> 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 Like what if like in like grade school like they the, the parent during what or the uh you know the the Teacher monitor people just during let the fight recess. Happen so they're just like I just want to see how this is going. I'm going to see
0: how this will play out. Yeah, right.
3: <laughs> this is important. They need to get out their emotions. <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a very fair point. Yeah, Zachy, how about you?
2: You know what? 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 I found most interesting about the, the you know the the brawl between them is that. Tyler just walks off. and I just I thought that was such a pattern interruption type thing from what we have come to expect from this type of thing, where, like they sit down, they talk it out and come to something. you know what I mean? Yeah. That's sort of that usually the fight is the prelude to the talk it out. And instead, he just walks off. and I just thought, man, that's so interesting. Like I really like how they're playing out uh, these dynamics uh, with these characters in ways that, are staying true to uh, the Star Trek ethos, uh, albeit bumping up against them at times, but also staying true to modern TV storytelling uh, dynamics, which are all about letting threads play out and letting you know. So this is we got to put a pin in this because we know there's more to it. Uh, this isn't you know 1992 Star Trek where at minute 42 everything's wrapped up and the ship goes into warp. Right. Mm-hmm you know? Uh, so I think, I, I think the, the fight between them did such a great job of making us empathize with both of them. Mm -hmm. It's not a situation where you want anybody to get their ass kicked. You want, you want them to resolve it because to some extent we like them both. Mm -hmm. And I love that that's a pregnant thing that like that they're leaving us hanging there, you know? Uh, so, so to be honest, I mean, as much as I'm, sort of i'm i'm interested in seeing the the stamets colbert thing play out i'm almost more interested in in what the final resolution with tyler is going to be between him and colbert sure
0: yeah yeah i think that's very well said um i i totally agree i mean the fact that this is uh that this is something that will hopefully be resolved by season's end but the fact that we want to see it resolved certainly plays a role in uh in the emotional participation of it and I'm going to be fascinated to see how things ultimately shake out. Oh, of course. And I get a call right then. <laughs> Fascinating. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, um, well, let's get into the really relationships that I've wanted to talk about for the course of this whole discussion. And that's the one between Pike and Vena and the larger sort of dynamic between the Telosians and the humans. Um, these are relationships that we haven't seen explored in over five decades. And there's a lot of weight that comes from putting these characters and scenarios back in the forefront of the Canon for the first time since the menagerie aired. And that was in November of 1966. So lay it on me guys. How did this creative team do with translating Talos for the Telosians, Vena, the look of the planet itself and the character interactions from 1966 to 2019 or 1964 depending on your perspective uh zaki take it
2: oh, that's great man i mean i think everything i was saying about the previous episode where i'm like really talos for i mean you know what they're doing is they are enriching this specific relationship as such that it it makes pike's preordained fate even more poignant yeah Um, you know, like when you think about it, like Vina is not just this woman who he met this one time and then he went off and had a bunch of adventures and then now he's like crippled. So here he goes back to her. No, he, he, she's his true love who he left behind and he never stopped thinking about. Yeah. And it, it adds this extra, it's like beautiful. Like he still gets to have joy at the end of his life. You know what Mm I mean? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was great. Great performances, man. Anson Mount. I'm, I'm like mourning in advance for when he leaves this
0: show. Oh sure, yeah.
2: You know what I mean? I, I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that because I'm just so in love with him as captain of Discovery, and we know he's got to go back over to that other ship. That that inconvenient continuity thing says he can't stick around too long. You know. Uh, but it's it's they're doing such good stuff with. I mean, seriously, like I was the most skeptical of going back to Talos Four, and they they've done something extraordinary. I thought it was
0: fantastic. Yeah, very well said. Who oh, boy, Rachel, Talos Four, Pike and Vina, the Talosians, everything. How did how did you take it?
3: Well, I agree with Zaki. It was very well done <laughs> and um yeah i liked that uh pike and vina you know had were thinking of each other before he was crippled so no. it, you know it makes it nicer uh, that he got to go back there when he's old so um yeah i don't think that i really have anything to add i was pleased all right I, there's so much in this episode that could have been so stupid if it weren't so well executed. Yeah. That's why I'm impressed. Like just the, you know, the Spock and Michael stuff, the flashbacks, the people getting projected into other people's minds. It could it, it could have been so bad, mm-hmm. but it isn't. Yeah. And I respect them more Mm-hmm. For, you know, doing these things that are so easily messed up. Yeah, sure.
0: Very well said. Cicero, especially coming off of your recent dip back into the cage in the menagerie. How did all of this stuff, re- the, the revival of
1: those elements in this episode hit you? If you watch the cage, then these two episodes of Discovery, then the two menagerie episodes you you would you would have an understanding you would never doubt um whether or not canon has space for more stuff sure yeah um well, that's this is this is they were able to in in you know in one fell swoop with just two of their own episodes but using three episodes or or two episodes depending on how you want to look at it from from you know from hollow lore they were able to show you that they can add to what is already there without stepping over the things that you already love but make you actually appreciate and love them even more so the so the highs are higher and the lows are even lower mm-hmm. uh, because they because they appreciate and they love uh the source material again as much as they as you do um and you know i i, I want them to co- continue to do this but i i want it to be in a way that i don't have to make continue to make that argument and i guess I, you know i'm making the argument to the ether um, but but like, uh, it it is so amazing how well they were able to do that. And just again, like like Zachy said, um, you mourn for Anson Mount leaving this show because he is like he is at home here. Yeah. Um. You know. At least I feel like he's at home here. Oh yeah. And um. And again. And then the other part of that is the bittersweetness of what is to befall Captain Pike. Because, you know, I, I mean, we I talked about it in, I think, episode one or episode two of this season. Um, Anson Mount is Captain Pike now. Like, it, like, I don't even think it's a question. Just definitively, when I think about the things that are going to happen to Captain Pike, the character, I'm picturing Anson Mount's face. Well, and um, when, I think the yeah. amount of time, I think just by virtue of
0: how often we've seen him now, he has become right. the longest served captain Pike.
1: technically. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, but yeah, but again, it's, it's the, the, um, the amount of complexity. Um, yeah. The, 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 the richness with which he plays the character, I think, um, Lens again lends itself to that because you know he could have come out there and been stiff and wooden and, and you know all of the you know all of the pejoratives like like Rachel said there are so many opportunities for this to be for this episode to be dumb, for his portrayal to be dumb, for everything to just kind of fall on his face and it didn't mm-hmm. um, And in fact not only did it not fall on his face, it elevated everything it elevated his portrayal it elevated this the season it elevated your thoughts about that character full stop. Um, above and beyond where it is right now. So man, the show is so damn good. I hate you guys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's really well said. I mean, I don't really have anything to add when it comes to the characterizations. Um, the things that I'll add, I love the interpretation of Talus Four with a budget. Yes. Uh, the design of the planet, the desolation. Uh. The singing flowers. As soon as she stepped off of the shuttle deck, and I heard that sound—the ambient sound of Talos Four—I my jaw dropped. I was astonished. I mean, I never thought I'd hear that again in something new, and we're already getting this very truthful new exploration of. I mean. It's not a fascinating location, all things considered, but right. <laughs> when you understand the significance of its roots and when you see it realized in a way that it has never been realized before in such a full capacity, uh, but still being familiar. That's what I really loved about it. And of course the Telosians themselves, bit of a different take on uh on the way that they look, but still very clearly the Telosians. Um it was really cool seeing – I mean, the Keeper was there. We know that that's the same Talosian ma- magistrate that was in the cage that knows Captain Pike so well. And But beyond that, the framing of the Talosians, you know after having watched the cage and the menagerie that they're generally benevolent. Once they understood what they were doing in sequestering Captain Pike's freedom or just taking his freedom away, they stopped. Right? They once they understood that value that, hum, that humans have for freedom in general, they didn't want to stand in the way of it. But Vina and all credit in the world to Melissa George, the actress who played her here, yes. she still related a fear to Michael, like you don't want to curry their disfavor because they can do things. And the, the power, that you saw on display from the telosians again, everything that was hinted at and that we saw in the cage and and the menagerie, um, especially when it comes to the projection of images, like was as was very clearly on display in the menagerie, but when Burnham and Spock come out of warp and they think they're going to fall into a black hole I mean, it was legitimately emotionally tense, but it also just helped to further illustrate the raw power they have in image projection. And I loved that this is, I mean, General Order 7 probably hasn't been enacted yet, but we understand even more now after having seen this episode, why the Federation is pretty much scared shitless of the Telosians you know, even more than we ever understood after watching the Cage and the Menagerie. And I love that. So beyond the fact that these character explorations were extraordinarily enriching and we got to see uh, things that we haven't seen in, in over half a century reborn in such a glorious way for these episodes of Discovery, uh, I just loved how it still manages to stay true to, Not really the threat, but the power of the vision of the Talosians just amped up into a modern perspective. Totally truthful to everything that we've seen before. Doesn't step on anything like Cicero said, but still true. And that's one of the primary reasons why I love this show. If I had to give an episode as to why I love this show, if memory serves, is absolutely it. Well, that is going to do it for episode 38 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, wherever you absorb it. It only takes a minute, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. Speaking of which, Debrief is engaged into a partnership with the developers of officially licensed browser-based game, Star Trek Alien Domain Incursion. Send us proof of your review on the show on social media or via email, and we'll send you a key code that's worth approximately $60 of in-game items. It's that simple. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at at debrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us as we convene next time to discuss a brand new episode of our subject series as we continue now into the second half of Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. As always, though, until we meet again, please.
3: May you find your way as pleasant.